Um, hello and welcome to another Codrates podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about functional programming. Uh, my name is Chris Bimson. Um, I'm here with Jorge, Rich and Gabrielle. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves and tell us a little about yourselves? Sure. Uh, well, you know me from before, Jorge. Uh, since that we have talked about before, uh, been nearly 15 years, I believe, in the industry. Uh, my favorite language at the moment is Clojure and uh, IDE Emacs. I'm Richard. I'm a craftsperson at Codeurance. I've uh, been in the industry for 20 years and a bit now, I guess. Um, I also love Clojure, but I haven't had the chance to use it in anger yet. I'd love the chance to try, but not yet. Hey, um, my name is Gabriele. I'm a craft person in Kudurans as well, and uh, my favorite language is Haskell, uh, although I'm starting to love Rust, and, but I, on a daily basis, I'm an object-oriented programmer. I only do function programming during the night. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just to finish off, like I said, my name's Chris. I'm also a craftsman at Kudurans. I've been in the industry about 16 years, uh, mainly working on the Microsoft platform. Um, through Turbo Pascal, Delphi, and onto .NET. Okay, um, so to kick off, does anybody want to tell me just what is functional programming? Oof. <laughs> there, there, there are quite a few um, ways of saying, of uh, indicating what is functional programming, depending on who you ask. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a lot is about, um, it's about controlling side effects. Mostly through immutability. That's my way of looking at functional programming. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I do agree with that, uh, although I think you can define functional programming like in many different ways. Some people define, like, when you can define, when you can assign a function to a variable that some, for some people is functional programming. And that's acceptable too, I think. And I tend to um, like purely pure functional programming, so immutability and and all of this stuff. So yeah, I've I've certainly heard that opinion before. Um, yeah. But that would of course make JavaScript a functional language. Yeah. And which is not. I, I I certainly don't consider it because exactly. of the ease with which you can mutate anything, anytime, anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I'm with Jorge on that one. That for me, it's it's about not changing things. Yeah, I agree with that. There, there is one thing that uh, I, I did presently write a book, blog post uh, that kind of uh, had some talk about that, uh, what it was functional programming. We talked about uh, on there, after talking with Richard and with uh, two other colleagues here, uh, so that the, the, the idea of limiting side effects it has two dimensions. One is on the the internal dimension, which will be the variables, which will be that immutability that we are talking about. There is an external dimension, which is side effects towards the rest of the system, which is something that is Haskell, for example, that, that is their main thing compared with any other uh, functional programming language that available. Uh, that that's their main concern, that kind of a limitation of side effects to the external war. Yeah. There was a, 
a lovely explanation I heard. I wish I'd thought of it, but I can't take credit for it. Um, I heard it from Uncle Bob, um, but he explained functional programming as um, one of the three main paradigms, and uh, the uh, the paradigms being structured programming, object-oriented programming, and functional programming, and they became popular in roughly that order, although paradoxically they were actually invented in the opposite yeah. order. Functional programming came first, yeah. but it didn't catch on until very recently. Yeah. But um, the thing I liked about his explanation is that, um, as he explains it, each of these um, paradigms actually constrain us in some way. Rather than giving us something, they take something away. He said that the, uh, the structured programming paradigm took away the ability to go to all over the place um, and instead, instead it said no you should program in terms of these structures and people didn't like it at first because they felt it was um, constraining their freedom which it was um, but they didn't understand that that's actually the point and because constraints actually can help mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the right circumstances. And then object-oriented programming also, you can see it as a kind of constraint um, because it, um, it gives you a few things, but the, probably the, the main thing is um, really uh, inconvenient polymorphism. Um, it's probably the big thing you get with object-oriented programming. And that was always possible before. Um, it's quite easy to do runtime polymorphism in C, for example. Mm -hmm. You do it by building structures of function pointers but it's hassle to maintain those function pointers yourself. So what you're doing basically is creating a V table yourself. But mm -hmm. um, So object-oriented programming gives you a very convenient way to do that, but it also takes away that function pointer feature um, to avoid shooting yourself in the foot. And structured uh, functional programming also takes something away. It says, well, stop mutating all of your state all over the place. Just don't do that. Instead, be very disciplined about where your mutation of state happens and makes you have to do certain things when you want to do it. Mm -hmm. One point with that one, uh, which helped before, is this relates to oiterated programming, is that when Alan Kay defined oiterated programming, he didn't have in mind what we call oiterated programming. No, they nowadays. called it structured programming. Didn't they? It, uh, it was about, all about message passing. Yeah, it was about message passing, yeah. wasn't it? it was so, so OJTC will be the most, of the oriented, oriented programming languages will be quite close to what he meant. Mm -hmm. I, I have never talked, uh, touched small talk. They say it's kind of similar. And basically that's what Erlang is, is message passing between different elements. That's... Yeah. Well, I, I, I thought that when I originally heard that, I thought, okay, what we thought, what we think right now, nothing to do with the original idea, yeah. but it is, now our definition is more closely related to what you are saying regarding mm -hmm. polymorphism. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, you read um, all the, the stuff that was going on in the 60s and you, you find object-oriented um, concepts being explained in discussions of structured programming they hadn't thought yet that actually it was a different idea. They just thought, no, this is structured programming. Yeah. Quite interesting. But to be honest with you, that's, that was one of my first reactions to functional programming. I was coming from a, 
object-oriented programming when I first heard of it. And, and I was programming with TDD and Solid Principle, and most of the Solid Principle, they address mutability and, um, and all, all, all of those kind of things. And when I first came across functional programming, I said, yes, I'm, I'm doing this already most of the time. I'm not changing shared, uh, uh, not sh changing shared states, so uh, I don't see what is, what, what, is, it, what is all... So what, why did what, you think that? What, what made you, uh, inside you, what made you say, yes, I'm doing this from now on? No, no, what I was saying is that I, I, I'm, already do, I'm already doing oh, this. Oh, you already with, decided. Yeah. But all, all this, you look at all the solid, what, what it is, is trying to reduce the mutability inside objects. Yeah. You're trying to, 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 to well, not, not all solid, but a few elements yeah. of what we consider solid and clean code. It's about trying to reduce how you can modify an object, yeah. trying to limit it to the specific methods yeah. that you want to use, mm -hmm. that, that you want to provide, the, that, the API of the object. So that's why you, you don't want gets and sets all over the place because... Yeah, and... Well, that, Sorry, Sorry Kerr, yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't want to go off topic now, but that's also what Mar Martin Fowler uh, has been stated recently. He stated, like, when I wrote refactoring, when I wrote refactoring, um, it was it was mainly the, all the problems, most of the problem, 95% of the problem were due to mutate, mutating state. And if you, if you read the refactoring now, it is true. Mm. So... Okay. So I think it's an interesting question because um, of the paradigms, uh, functional programming has become popular most recently and uh, it's the new big thing or one of the new big things and uh, sort of people get a bit giddy about the new thing and they tend to think that, oh, the old thing is now obsolete. And yeah. So you hear it yeah. said that functional programming is has made object-oriented programming obsolete or that they're even opposed to each other. Yeah. What do you think about that? I don't agree. Um, but more broadly, I think that's a very common way to market a new thing. It's just, yeah. it's much easier to make it attractive if you spend all your time trashing the old thing. The thing, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't take that kind of talk very seriously. Same thing. I love function programming, but I... I don't blame on anyone else that yeah. is not working. And there, are, there are things for which all, all paradigms are, are much better. Yeah. Uh, we, at the end, what we are doing is putting abstract, uh, abstractions, layers, and constraints on top of what is running on the machine, which yeah. is, is assembly code, which doesn't have any concept about immutability. Exactly. No, no, assembly is completely imperative. <laughs> exactly. So we, we are doing things on top of that, which are useful, are useful abstractions, but they do take away things. Yeah. And, and what we, each abstraction will have their own uh, domain or the domains at which it will be better at. Uh, I always put an example of, of, of this. Uh, F sharp. I know, I know people that do F sharp uh, here in London on financial companies for um, high tech uh, high frequency trading, and basically they they ditch all the immutable collections and use mutable collections. Mutable ones. Yeah, because of the speed uh, issues. Yeah, I don't think that. Uh, 
that uh, EFSA uh, has the same kind of uh, performance uh, improvements that uh, or considerations that Clojure had. Clojure, uh, which I know that Rich actually uh, spent a lot of time making sure that uh, all immutable collisions were fast. Yeah, he mm -hmm. wanted them to be at least as fast as the equivalent um, Java collections. Yes. Yeah. I don't think that FSAP uh, has the same because they allow you to use immutable uh, collections. But it is the case that on, uh, on financial companies, uh, I have heard from people working on them, they use they uh, they use the immutable collections. So they use mostly FSAP for the for the hintas, which is quite good. Okay. Um, so moving on a bit, so how did you guys learn about functional programming and learn to use functional programming? Oof. Uh, well, this one is maybe six, seven years back. Uh, I knew I have a, I was working on C Sharp all the time. I knew from before a few, a few languages, I, I knew a bit of C, C++, I had done Turbo Pascal and Delphi. And I was looking at uh, possibilities. I was looking at the issues that I was having. I knew about uh, this idea of functional um, uh, functional style because of Link uh, when 3.5 uh, yeah. uh, came into C sharp, and I said, okay, let's gonna let's gonna look at options. And I started with F sharp was my first one in which I started to try to double a bit with the idea of functional programming. And that's what introduced me to it, and it was nice. Yeah. It, it, it was really nice. Uh, yeah, the the clarity of what I was uh, writing, even when I didn't understand that much. I have to say that uh, FSR has for a is a, a, static, a statically typed language, but uses Hindley Milner. How is it called? Well, the inference type system, which is superb, and uh, it did attract me, attract me as well. After that, I moved into, uh, I've been trying other ones, uh, Closure, which is my favorite one at the moment. I have tried a bit of uh, Elixir uh, and Erlang. Uh, I have Luke Haskell, but <laughs> at the moment, <sighs> too much. <laughs> I'm really recent to functional programming. Um, it's been within the last couple of years. Uh, I, I'd heard about it a long time ago and I, sort of, I was interested and I looked it up and uh, I read it explained that functional programming is all about functions that given certain input always returns the same output, which is perfectly true. but. That doesn't didn't actually help me at all to understand what it was yeah. really all about, um, and it was partly when I moved to my previous job, um, I hadn't really explored Java eight before, uh, but they were all using it and using streams. And as soon as I arrived, they were like, "Dude, you've got to use streams." And I was like, "Oh, this is weird," but I quickly got the hang of it. And around about the same time, I decided I wanted to learn closure because I'd been interested in that for a, quite a while as well um, because it's Lisp and I'd, I'd wanted to learn Lisp um, because Lisp had this kind of kind of mythical air about it of like sort of it's one of the oldest languages but at the same time people still get 
excited about it, so I thought there must be something to it. Yeah. Because nobody gets excited about Fortran anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, Lisp is still here. Um, people still write languages that are Lisp. So I wanted to, to find out what it was about. Um, it had this reputation for sort of when you learn it, it sort of like changes the way you think. And so I started learning it on the, uh, the train. Um, just by, by doing little exercises, but um, but I really tried to enter into it. So, so like closure makes it, you know, quite the bias is definitely on the, the side of not mutating things, and so I really tried to learn it in that sort of like programming by expression um, way. And this um, also really helped me get to grips with streams as well because um, what I was doing in closure I found mapped perfectly to Java streams. And I quickly found that the, the way I wrote Java totally changed. Yeah. Um, I really loved the way that uh, it took away so much work that I used to have to do. Like, you know, so many times when you write a loop, then you're doing something like uh, sort of filtering out elements or you're calculating a sum or something like that. And I just, I loved the way that it took the clerical work away from you. Yeah. And like, you know, you want to sort of like iterate the elements in this collection and filter out these ones and uh, convert the, uh, the rest to strings and then concatenate them together while putting a comma in between them. Yeah. And like with loops, that's a fair amount of code and you've got to worry about fence post errors and all that. And, but with streams, you just say what you want yeah. and it just does it for you. And I was like, Damn, this is the way I want to program. Well, I, don't, I don't want to write a for loop anymore. And uh, that's basically been the way I've programmed ever since. Yeah. And uh, but So, so I, I think this is the functional style, because I'm doing it in Java, which is not a functional language in my opinion, but um, I don't see any reason not to write functional code in it. Yeah. I have a very similar story to Rich, um, because I'm a Java developer, so the I've heard about functional programming before, but we weren't as lucky as the c sharper guy that got uh, the link uh, six, seven years ago now. Longer, I think. Yeah, even eight it's years. longer than you think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and when Stream API was introduced, I started looking at it, didn't really get it at the first sight. And then I think at my previous company, we started the functional programming group when where we gathered and studied together on the red book on functional programming functional programming in Scala. So I started learning Scala. That was my first functional pro programming language. And I slowly got into it and I loved it. And I loved how you how how you could uh, define uh, pure function, how you could uh, iterate through collections, how you could uh, easily do recursion with pattern matching. I loved it. And and since then, I then moved to Haskell uh, because of a friend telling me that. And, and that was it. And yeah, so very similar story to, to Rich. And, and as Rich said, going through the functional programming uh, uh, Rabbi or literally changed my way of coding even in Java. Uh, so I can say I, I can probably relate to what Rich is saying. I write functional style Java um, and I actually really like it and I find it very readable now. 
I don't know who says so, but the the mention uh, there is no point of learning a, a new language if it doesn't change the the way that you you think about coding. I'm sure Kevin Henney tweeted that just today. Oh, oh. I think so. <laughs> well, I have very much memory, so it could be absolutely possible. <laughs> yeah, but uh, for me, that's the definition of Haskell for me at the moment. I, I, I wouldn't write production. I, I know some of our colleagues would shoot me in the face, but I wouldn't not write production Haskell at the moment. But Haskell taught me so much and it changed my way of coding. And and I, and I consider Haskell for me a, a learning experience rather than, than, uh, than a code to write. So, sorry, a programming language to write code. I think it's a bit of a shame that there aren't any real Haskell fanboys here tonight, like <laughs> Carlos, because I, 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 I find myself quite opposed to the way they think about and yeah. talk about functional programming, but it would have made for a really lively discussion. Yeah. Yeah, you all agree in quite a lot. Yeah, it's <laughs> more conflict. Yeah, need a bit more drama. Uh, I, can, I can see uh, I, this thing that you mentioned about Haskell uh, production code. I know that there is out there, there's production yeah, code, yeah. There, uh, there, there is uh, applications, for example, for uh, video editing, which uh, is not one domain that I would consider good for a uh, uh, functional language. Um, but it is, I think that uh, one of the projects that is so inward looking, or it has always given me the, the, the impression to be inward looking. Well, for example, the Kaju community has been always more uh, out than, uh, yeah. than the Haskell community. Yeah. Uh, I, I have and, you can see, and you can see that because Clojure is widely used in production. Yeah. Uh, I have the same issue with uh, at the moment with uh, Rocket, which is an interesting least language. Yeah. But I don't know. It's so so immersed into its own small world uh, around academics. Yeah. That uh, and and is it is it actually quite interesting? It's quite powerful. Because it is designed mostly as a systems, systems language, so it is, it is the performance is good and the and the kind of stuff that you can do with it is really good. But then you don't have that. I don't know exposure. Mm. Maybe for closure it was easier because it was on the JVM, so it's easy to move people from other languages into it. I think that applies to F Sharp as well because yeah. you're on common VM infrastructure and your ability to reuse a lot of listing stuff, existing stuff out there, that makes it easier to get started, I think. Now, do you think that F Sharp has a lower learning curve than Clojure does? Because F Sharp's out there. yes on that myself. Because it's actually, yeah. it's, I, I think of it as a hybrid functional language. Because you, it gives you the choice to mutate or not, yeah. and uh, I, I actually I dislike that from myself. I would prefer if it was more a, a like structuring, which you only have the 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 immutable the immutable, immutable collections and immutable objects. Yeah, and there's like no assignment operator. Exactly, because what. And it's one of the problems that has happened with Scala. Yeah, Scala is the same. Scala is everyone 
and I have heard that, that many times they complain that most of the Scala code is actually object-oriented code. Yeah, there's probably a lot of Scala programmers out there who think they're functional programmers, yeah. but they're actually not. No, yeah. and, and I think that it makes it easier to learn the syntax of the language. It doesn't make it. It doesn't make it easier to learn the functional because you're not forced to it. Well, I was going to ask: is, is is that a consequence of making it easy to integrate with other stuff? Do you think? Well, uh, I think it's, exactly. a, it's a language choice because yeah. Clojure integrates well with Java as yeah. well. Um, but um, Rich Hickey just did, didn't make any compromises. Like it is yeah. Lisp. It's got the Lisp syntax. There's no assignment operator. There's no mutable collections. You're going to write functional code. Damn it! I think is the reason. My personal opinion on this is that the main reason is that you want those languages to be accessible. We are talking about uh, F# -sharp and you want to be you want to slowly take a, an object-oriented programming out of this shell and, and bring mm. it to this new world. And to do that, you uh, to do that to the wide public, you need to allow your language to write some some like the assignment operator or, or some like object-oriented style that I, I would say is about that and and, the, and and in fact it's one of the reasons that Scala is quite successful and I, I agree with you and I dislike that and I dislike that the community of Scala doesn't have a standard on how to write Scala and and, you, and if you jump on Scala code bases you see way different Scala code bases uh, you can see Scala written as a Java uh, with no difference, and you can see Scala written has, has Haskell with uh, monads and stuff, so, yeah. Okay, so we were talking a bit about Link and the Stream API earlier, so I just wanted to get everyone's opinion on functional programming kind of features being included in non-functional languages, would that be fair to call them that? Yeah. I think it's a good, uh, in this question, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. It, uh, one of the things that found before when I started doing functional languages, is that certain ideas, certain algorithms, certain processes that are so easy to write with the idea of a functional language. Uh, the whole idea of a string, I'll include as I describe the operations that I want to do. Okay, and when you read it, it, it is a description of the steps of the algorithm mm. in terms of the logic, how it works logically. It does. And know how it actually works in the code, in the machine behind. Yeah. You're literally saying, from this collection, select these elements, sort it like this, and then whatever. Uh, exactly. And I'm bringing that into languages that, that, like C -Sharp and Java. It's, it is pretty good because it removes a lot of complexity that we have introduced into into our code bases because we need to go through objects and then we need to uh, we need to try to isolate those objects and then we have limits on, the, on when to create new objects on injection and whatnot and our code bases have been expanding bigger and bigger and bigger in C and in Java which they never never it was needed because there were limits on the language, 
and some of those limits are taken away by by link and by streams. You want to respect the idea of immutability on them to get a better better use of them. But yeah, it is good for me in Java. Uh, one of the uh, like one of the best um, thing that we get in Java eight is. Uh, passing function as parameters and assigning function to variables. That for me is even better than Stream API. I would I would drop Stream API to only have that uh, if I had to choose between one of those, because passing function in in methods and in and has variables reduces a lot of um, complexity to me and also increase the readability a yeah. lot. I, I do it all the time now. I yeah. find it such a useful technique. Yeah, yeah. Then there is uh, this uh, Scott Watson, which is famous on the ESAR community, has a the website called ESAR for Fun and Profit. And a few years back, he had a presentation on ESAR, and he had this slide. It was a joke, uh, mostly a joke slide, but you have a, um, a strategy, uh, on orientated problem. You have the strategy pattern in. Functional languages, you have functions. You have the factory pattern. You know, you turn the program. Yeah. You ha in function programming, you have functions. Yeah, yeah. You have the, I saw uh, that. I've talk. seen that. Yeah. I've seen that. It's, it, it's, it's brilliant. It is. It is. And and and, and instead, you know, <laughs> well, it's a bit of a troll, isn't it? I think it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a great it's way to rub a lot of people up the wrong way, which I don't think is terribly helpful. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it's there. There are patterns on 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 functional languages. Uh, but it, it, it is the fact that more most of the idea of the strategies is just years past the lambda expression that is yeah that, that defines the strategy. You you have a factory. If if I only need to have only one uh, um, how's it called to create a single object, I just I can pass a lambda of the creation of the object. I don't have to create a whole. Uh, scaffolding around it yeah. to be able to support it, which is uh, yeah. it's kind of nice, kind of nice. There is um, I've seen uh, around two years ago a talk about uh, from Gang of Force to uh, um, to from from Gang of Force to Lambdas, uh, from sorry from Gang of Force to Lambdas, and it's quite good talk. It show you how to uh, uh, do that live coding. Uh, transforming every every design every design pattern in just lambdas. Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye on that one. Yeah. I was quite interested when I was learning closure um, that I didn't miss writing classes, yeah. and I, I I very much believe in object oriented programming. I, I think it's a very powerful t tool and technique, and uh, and I'm not wanting to yeah. give it up. But I still did find that. When I was writing Clojure, I didn't tend to miss it, and I thought that was odd. And I had to think about it quite hard to, to understand why. And I, I believe it's because um, object-oriented programming is m more than anything a tool for creating abstractions. But uh, first-class first functions are also a very good way of creating abstractions. and. I found that with first class functions, I didn't need to create like interfaces so much. Yeah. There is um, th this idea of uh, uh, 
again, I have the, the memories I don't remember right now who says, say this. Uh, uh, I prefer to have one structure with 100 functions than uh, 100 objects with a single method. And, uh, and, and the thing is that what you want, uh, at the end, you well, we have different ways of uh, of doing it, but you want to ma manipulate uh, some kind of uh, uh, oh, you got, you want to manipulate data. You are manipulating data some somewhere or another, and if you have a, a how's it called? And if you can define a methods functions that are more uh, how's it called? More uh, how can I express it right now? Um, more general, and then just add things. Uh, being able to use it for for different structures the same, it gives you some kind of flexibility, which is something that uh, on automated programming we are we are trying to add that flexibility through constructs. It is not by default on the language. It's we need to define all these uh, all these patterns of the all this idea of strategies or or uh, or mementos or whatever it is. To provide the, the scaffolding to to allow those kind of uh, that, that kind of generality, yeah. I think maybe. <laughs> so here's one thing that I have observed about people who are very steeped in functional programming ideas, um, because object-oriented programming is about abstraction in one way, and functional programming is about abstraction as well in a perhaps a different way and I, I've observed um, people that love functional programming create abstractions that are very sort of algorithmic in nature mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it's unfortunate if someone does that to the exclusion of using the power of object-oriented languages to create abstractions that speak in terms of the business domain yeah I, I agree 100% on that. Um, and I tend to find that on the functional programming community as, uh, as well. Uh, yeah, you, you you can see that at some point, if, if, if you don't concentrate on readability and on expressing business domain, you can end up with primitive obsession, even in functional programming, for example, like uh, if you uh, just talk about monoids and data structure and uh, and data structure that we have in functional programming, then you are failing to express uh, a, a business concept. For example, what one one usually one um, one example that I make is what does a header of of uh, string uh, means? Um, sorry, what, what does a either of string means? Uh, you don't know if you don't define a type around that. Uh, so I think, and to be honest, I don't know if uh, coming from object-oriented programming, that's why I have that, but I'm still strong strong on defining really good types and, and that helps uh, object-oriented such as functional, functional programming. There is one thing that uh, Elixir, has done that uh, uh, originally I was 
Mm, that's that, that, that's strange, a strange idea that I have warm up to, to it. Is that you can define a, for each file on Elixir, you can define a single structure. So you want a several structures, you have to find several files. Mm -hmm. But then you can, because of the way that it works, you can define um, all the functions on the same file refer to that structure, so it's kind of an object class. It is not a class because the the the, the, the structure and the functions are completely separate, but you refer to that specific structure on on those functions. So it is more tightly coupled uh, the, 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 the structure and the functions that enclosure for example, which don't have anything to do with each other. Is really. it like a trait? Yeah? Is it like a trait? Kind of. Because I, I, I saw in Rust that, like, say, there's like some class that you didn't create, but you, you want that class to be able to do something, you can create a function and say, well, this is now, if it's a trait of this class, then it can apply to it and does a certain thing with it. It's a kind of similar idea, yes. Kind of similar idea. Mm. And uh, I, as I say, at the beginning, was, oh, this is strange. And, uh, I thought I was doing functional programming, but then it started to get, it's where you can create this idea of business objects in a much easier way because it, and that's one of the important things about, uh, for me, for object programming, it's so easy to define business objects or uh, have this, uh, bring the business domain into your code and define it around, around that, which again, the, it feels a bit uh, in terms of trying to define processes, but in trying to define what the what the, uh, the your client is using, uh, they have orders, they have uh, materials, they have uh, and they have operations that are related to to, to that. Then kind of brings that together. Yeah. Cool. Um, I wanted to um, go back to what Gabriella said about um, name uh, well named types because it kind of leads. In quite nicely to the next question I was going to ask, which is, what pitfalls are there that people who start out using functional programming should look to avoid? I would say um, going uh, going too far with it, because um, I, I sometimes I I've seen um, people bend themselves into knots like a pretzel just to avoid mutating stuff. Like in Java, Java doesn't have decent collection in initializers. Um, but if you want to say, create a hash map with some data in it that you know at compile time, you know, so in, in C sharp, you can just easily, you know, initialize it with what you want. In Java, you can't easily do that. Um, you can you just have to create the map and put the uh, the values into it but trying to do that with a stream you have to stream a collection a, a load of uh, entries which are keys and values and then you have to collect it and you have to provide lambdas to tell the collector what the key is and what the value is and it's just not worth it uh, it's not worth it for the sake of avoiding mutating state like the mutation of the state is creating the map and then putting the values into it. But really, I think that's a lesser evil. It's it's not worth trying to avoid that. Um, what I can say is something similar. Um, 
don't get too obsessed also around the math, around the category theory, around the uh, all those theory around functional programming. Just practice, just start with something and don't think that function, to write functional programming you need to know all the all of this stuff. I, I, I do actually love uh, all the theories behind it. I'm studying category theory at the moment, uh, but it's not needed. And your and uh, Richard's uh, blog post um, is a is a. If you if you don't know it, we can link it maybe in the podcast. Is uh, his articles about functional programming. Uh, are, are awesome. I, I I would like to write them. Is you you don't need to know all the math. You don't need to know all of this theory to write function programming. You can still appreciate and you can still learn that. So uh, and I see sometimes I see that on the function programming community you can you see people like you cannot talk to me if you didn't eat ten uh, ten books about function programming uh, and I just don't agree with that. I'm, I'm going to agree with that because when the first time I learned uh, functional programming was at university and it was taught very much from the theory side first, mm -hmm. uh, so with lambda calculus, category theory, probably I don't know how many weeks before we actually wrote any code and I found that a massive turn off and it turned me off functional programming for quite a while. Yeah, exactly. And it's turning a lot of people away or, uh, from, from, from functional programming and it's not worth it. No, I don't, I don't want to say that I don't care about the theories. They are exactly. important and it is worth learning. but. I think when you want to start out learning, you want to start, oh, I learn better when I start out by just trying stuff that start, affects the world. I don't want to learn yeah. the theory behind something until I've started using it. Yeah. Really. Okay, uh, let's, I can give you one example right now. I was looking up uh, options other, uh, to do front end that wasn't, that I was not JavaScript. I don't like JavaScript, so uh, <laughs> I want to do some front end right now and uh, I was looking at options. So one of the options that I, I looked at was script. Uh, well, <laughs> well, first, uh, I was looking because uh, I like functional programming, so I was looking at options that they were functional programming. One of the options that I was looking at is pure script. Yeah. And lovely language, but similar to Haskell, there are a few differences here and there. Um, but I got the, the book uh, written by the creator of the language. Uh, sorry, I don't remember your name. Uh, the, the book is a peer script by sample and it's a marvelous introduction to all the ideas of, of peer script but at the end of the of the book I couldn't write a button that will uh, send something to the server yeah with closure script within a few minutes I was doing that yeah and uh, and that's one very important thing for me and I have mentioned it before uh, on, this post, uh, on this podcast and uh, on, on my blog post. I love coding. I like coding. I do. I code at home for a, for a hobby. But what I'm doing over here is for a client yeah. or to solve a specific issue. All everything, even when I understand why you need to know about monads or or the or category theory why it, why why it is important first things first solve the issue yeah, yeah. then then you, you then you can deal with uh, with the fancy fancy stuff i want to do a front end stuff i want to have a button that i click and uh, i get a message back from the server show me the way to do it that's that's the first thing 
then we can go into the inners because I will go into the inners because I want to understand how it works and because it's fascinating. It is fascinating, but 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 this it yeah. is all it is all about doing solutions for the client. Yeah, it's Phil Freeman, by the way, who wrote the book. Phil Freeman, yes, we love you, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, as I said, Phil, I Phil Freeman to, is a known listener to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We love you so much. We have to keep it. Going. <laughs> it, 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 it is a, it, the language is good. It is pretty good, and it's uh, it's very strict. But even being strict, it allows you to do things. It's not. Uh, but I need something to actually work right now. So, <laughs> tell you the script was. <laughs> I think another pitfall to be avoided is um, not to buy too much the idea that this is like the the new thing and like everything before is obsolete um, because uh, my in my previous job um, when I started I, I started before I'd learned closure but um, I already had that desire I wanted to learn closure and um, I, I got a job at a consultancy um, uh, built around Hydris which is a Java e-commerce framework yeah. very clunky um, and the, uh, the, the client was building um, a fashion website and they were using Hybris, but most of their development was in Clojure and they had an army of Clojure developers um, as permies and then there was us who did the Java stuff for Hybris, like in a corner. And they, uh, the Clojure guys were obnoxious. Uh, it's so much it actually nearly put me off learning it like sort of uh, it was only after I went off that project that I started to learn it again because they had this really shitty attitude that you know they, they felt like their shit didn't stink because they were writing closure and they looked down their noses at us pure uh, poor Java devs you know working with our clunky hybrid thing and I, I, I even heard it once said, um, someone uh, said that um, because they don't um, mutate any state, then their code can't have bugs in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. If I had someone say that, uh, they'd probably be out the door. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> that's just such a fundamental misunderstanding of what you're doing. But, absolutely. Uh, um, I don't think I can ever trust anything you ever say again. But I, I looked at some of their pull requests sometimes, and it was like, you know, it wasn't all that hot, their code. And... It's like the, um, the, the rules of, of clean code that I learned before, like, you know, so if you, you should have small functions and they should have good names. Uh, I, I don't think those rules change just because you're writing no. closure yeah, or any other functional no. language. You know, you should still write small functions and they should still have good names and, you know, you should, your code should not be so arcane and complicated that no one can understand it. Yeah. And, yeah, I have a quite similar experience when I was... Uh, starting to learn and love Scala, I I reached out this local Scala community. I'm not gonna name that, but it was uh, the same. It was like, uh, oh, we are better than the others. Oh, every other language is shit, and and I couldn't agree. And yeah, and that actually put me off, and I stopped learning Scala for like a couple of months. Yeah, and didn't enjoy that. Again, there, there are domains for which functional languages are quite good. There are others for which there are not. But that's with, with nearly everything that, that you have. Maybe even, even, even if it was the case that for 90% of the staff it was the better option, 
you still have that other ten percent for which is not. Yeah. So it's it's not worth it. Not worth it. No. <laughs> cool. So I guess we can, based on what you said, we can move on again. So drawbacks, functional programming drawbacks. Anybody want to talk about that? Or oh, it's perfect, right? We don't we can stop right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 perfect. One of the things that we can mention over here is it is a bit more difficult. Uh, I have I found a bit more difficult to translate to to certain business models, certain domains, uh, depending on how the processes of the of the business are. Mm-hmm. I could I probably gonna shoot myself in the foot, but I could argue with you that it's probably because you're writing a dynamically typed language. <laughs> <laughs> no, because uh, I, I, I think... To, I, this is what I wanted to hear about, a fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably is a topic for another podcast, but um, I do feel that with a, with a function programming strongly typed, you can still write uh, very good types and very good um, um, business reflection in your code. Mm. There is the fact that there is a bit less more disconnect between the functions and the structures, uh, which is one of why I mentioned earlier, uh, compared with an iterative programming language in which you have the connection between the, the, the methods and the data hole in, in, the, in the object is far more, uh, is stronger. Okay, so there, there is that, that part over there. Uh, there is another drawback which uh, I think is quite easy to get lost in functions that because they are all, all over the place, you have functions all over the places, sometimes you don't know uh, how it's called. How to connect things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you, you, you get lost on, on, on adding stuff, but because the, 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 the relation to data is not as strong, you don't have a clear way of finding, finding, obje- uh, finding functions that you want to use. There's not a clear way of connecting how those functions connect to each other. Mm. They are very easy to connect, and, and, and the whole idea of piping on, on on functional languages is awesome, but sometimes you get the, you get lost. Yeah, on those connections. I, I once um, heard it said by one one of our um, craftspeople who's since moved on to greener pastures. But uh, he, he said that um, the power of uh, functional programming is thinking in terms of functions and function composition, and rather than data manipulation. Uh, and I've got to admit, I, I can't think of functions in any other terms other than what they do to data. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's just probably from my experience where I've worked with databases for such a long time. But I just, I, I can't visualize what a function does except in terms of the data that you put in and the data that you get out the other end. And I I, even, I see function composition as like a string of sausages, you know, where the yeah. stuff's... <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, uh... To be honest uh, with you, what Jorge is saying, I actually experienced myself. But then I, I'm not, I'm not saying I've solved this problem, but I uh, w- 
one of the solutions I found is that stick to the process, stick to, for example, to the TDD process. So if you, if you're, uh, if you're guiding your development from the test, then tests are gonna give you the feedback on how to com uh, how to write your composition and how to what's the next step and uh, so for me that's one of the way of solving this problem uh, another drawback that I've I, I think I've seen it may just be because I don't know enough but it seems to me that functional programming ideas don't really give you any advice on how to structure your programs at the medium to large scale they don't tell you about that's very true I agree. Yeah. that's very true that's 100 percent true oh, um, i was agreeing as well sorry <laughs> no 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 um yeah and to be honest with you the first large code base uh, working in production that i could work with was the one i i seen here in closure and before that it was I have to say sorry because I have written part of it and I did a very bad job. <laughs> I'm really bad no, job. but, but uh, <laughs> anyway, this is uh, the first large code base, mid to large code base that I see. And, um, and actually, I, for, for the first time, I can see that it, it can actually work because, because previously I, I could only see uh, that it's small application and yeah, we, we, we can all agree that it's not the same uh, until you yeah. scale your code base. One, one of the things that with all your trying to programming is relatively easy because you are already doing the scaffolding. The scaffolding towards a bigger system is relatively easy. Even when we know all the problems that uh, we find and why not, it, it, is, it is there and it's easy to find the structure on a bigger pro, uh, pro, uh, program because it's the same structure that you have on a, on a small program. But I think that has something to do with familiarity, though. Yeah, because uh, be it's, be. it's easy to find a bad structure for an object-oriented program. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's any program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not hard to find stuff that is very good. Yeah. But the fact is, you still have those structures around Yeah. that... Uh, that uh, I, I, Make makes it easier to understand how things interconnect with each other. If the, there is idea, the idea around modules, you can think of modules uh, some kind of as connecting as connecting the fun the functions inside. And maybe there is I don't know. We'll need someone with better that has worked on a really large code base to to tell us over here uh, how. It, how it work because yeah at the moment it was one of the problems when I work on that on that special project is probably because my lack of experience on on, on production code I defined it uh, at points I wasn't 100% sure this should be over here or I should order things this way because later down the, the line is gonna be an issue mm -hmm. and when you have when you have a small small code base 2,000 lines of code, 3,000 lines of code, it's easy to, to keep it in mind how everything connects. When you have something larger than that and you don't see the immediate chain of how you're going to get to that position, I, I did find that the language uh, didn't allow me to easily to do, do those connections between what was happening 
through the whole chain of calls. Mm. But I'm not sure this drawback is intrinsic to functional programming because uh, it's possible it might just be that um, it's only just taking off now and there isn't that much production code written in a functional language yet. Whereas object-oriented programming has been around for decades and there's millions of people that have been writing it and made loads of mistakes and gained lots of wisdom and yeah. so like you know there's like you know the gang of four design patterns and lots of received wisdom as to how to structure programs better and we just haven't discovered those things in well or rather not discovered because i expect that it's the same problems that the procedural language does yeah yeah they are going to be quite similar in terms of building large scale and we didn't move from procedural languages to oil-trained languages because of large, large scale, nominally, but it, it will be possible that is like, like, like with everything. Some people learn the, how to do it, they try to give that information to everyone else, but everyone else is not paying attention. Yeah. And the same way that we know that uh, doing TD is actually pretty useful on creating good objects, People just don't follow it. That's one thing I'm not looking forward to um, because just as we have an idea about what good object-oriented mm. programming is about and we see that most of the programmers out there really don't understand it. Uh, and just as we've screwed object-oriented programming up, I just know that we're going to screw functional programming up as well. <laughs> well, at least that everything's equally screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Someone say something more, something a bit more uplifting. And I think we can. Yeah, we can't end on that. <laughs> at this point, I mean, at this point in time, I don't know if I'm throwing like the big stone now. Um, Go on, do it. TDD and functional programming. Oh yeah, TDD. Um, yeah, yeah. It's outside in. That's the question. I've heard some people claim you don't need to do TDD because of the redevelop print loop, and that's a better substitution for TDD. Yeah, that's that's, that's horse shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do I agree. I agree with that. It, 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 like with everything, it's useful when you are doing it the first time around, but you have to come back to the code. Yeah, exactly. That was the obvious. It, it doesn't leave the legacy. It the... doesn't exactly. It doesn't leave you, and it's so useful as documentation TDD, mm -hmm. the, 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 test in general, but as well. When you are doing TD, because you can see the steps, how you reach that conclusion, why everything is connecting the way it is connecting. Well, there is the thing that you don't need as many tests uh, yeah. compared with object-oriented programming. Doesn't matter if it's static or dynamic, because the static less than dynamic. Static less than dynamic. Okay. Um, I think we might have to do a podcast about typing. <laughs> <laughs> If that doesn't descend into a fight, I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah, but, <I> <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it's uh, I mean, you have le le less tests in general because it's easier. Uh, you you have to. There is less things to worry about. It's so much easier when it's just whatever goes in and where uh, is the only thing that can affect your function. It's such a thing out of your mind. You don't have to control 20,000 things. What if what, what if uh, my method, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, this method on this, uh, on this object, 
I have to test it, but what if another method has been called first? What if the 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 method I'm passing an object and I'm doing something completely different? It's just it's maddening at, at points. The, the, all the possibilities that you have, which doesn't happen on on functional uh, functional languages, which is something really really good. And as well, the whole idea of uh, property-based testing so much easier on functional languages yeah. because well. No wonder they are coming from them. It's just the the amount of things that you have to control is so much less. That is, yeah. Although I I do find myself not always following strict TDD. I can say I do when doing functional programming lately. I can say I do test first, uh, but don't, I do not drive. I do not drive my development and my design from the test, to be honest. I probably because of my lack of experience with functional programming, but I tend to do the design when I'm writing the production code. I tend to think about my types. I tend to think about my function and then write the test. And then, although although I, I usually write tests before writing uh, the production code, but yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, since I've been doing TDD quite a lot in object-oriented, I know, I think I know what TDD is, and I, and I think I'm not doing TDD when functional programming. Even object-oriented programming, I like to think about what I'm going to solve beforehand, uh, before getting, uh, unless it's something completely new, which, in which case I, I'm, I'm going to be working on a prototype. Uh, I want to think, I have an idea of what I'm solving, and I think about possible even when later on maybe I'll, I'll because of the way that my the TDD is uh, leading me I, I throw that away yeah that initial idea is what sets me on the on the place so that that still happens even if I am if I am doing TDD that initial thinking is still gonna happen as this thing is very important and, and then you just go with the the the, the TD and uh, and let, let let it flow, let, let it appear, and I think that's that, that's absolutely possible on on a, on on a functional languages. Um, right now I'm starting with the Marshall's Catown Elixir. I'm starting purely outside in, get the the the, the, the Test and test with the with the moves and what I expected at the end. I, I'm gonna let that drive the the whole thing. I, I think it's still possible. It's just it's just getting used to it the same way that you got used to it uh, in object yeah. programming. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I think that's lack of experience for me. Uh, but the, at the moment, I'm more comfortable on thinking about my type first and then on, on test. Hmm. Are we happy? Oh, I'm very happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are we uh, going to stop there then, I think? Okay, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, come back and listen to the rest of the fight about types some other time. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Thank everyone. You. Cheers. <laughs>